0: So this store opened up in Seattle, Amazon Go. It's like a convenience store, but with no cashiers. There's nobody to pay. Okay, I've got my sandwich, and I'm gonna walk out the door. There are all these little cameras and sensors everywhere that know what I took. I didn't know it would work. It's a little weird, actually. But let's be real here. We're being tracked all the time.
1: And we help every time we add a new app to our phones.
0: Yeah, there's this game I play on my phone on the bus. Battle cats. Tiny cats fight each other and also read my browsing history.
1: (laughs) Did you see that crazy story about this company called Strava? It's a free app that tracks things like where people jog. And it sells that data to cities like Seattle. Cities use it to help them plan. But here's the crazy thing. Strava published a heat map of everybody's running routes, including the paths of soldiers running around their secret military bases. Whoops.
0: So that's three different instances of data tracking us. Amazon Go, my stupid game Battle Cats, and the Strava Fitness Tracker.
1: And they all have something in common. All their data is stored at Amazon Web Services.
0: The biggest cloud in the world. I'm Joshua McNichols.
1: I'm Carolyn Adolph from KUOW in Seattle. This is Primed. What happens when Amazon comes to your town?
0: In this episode, we'll talk about how Amazon's cloud has made unbelievable amounts of data available not just to private companies, but to governments. That data is reshaping our world and leading to new kinds of conflicts. Data is power. No one
2: thought it would be as big as quickly as it has been. You know, I don't want someone's social security number. I don't want to know exactly where they live. We still have a policy environment that's like the Wild West.
0: We'll be right back.
1: Before we get into the conflicts brewing in Amazon's cloud, there's something a lot of people may not realize. Amazon Web Services is way bigger than Amazon.com.
0: And that cloud began as something that Amazon made for itself, a place to put all its customer data and the programs that manage that data. Here's Jeff Bezos. We realized, wait a second, what we're building here, we need. Amazon.com,
1: the retailer, needs these things. But pretty soon, everybody's going to need these things. Um, And so with a little extra work, we can turn what we were going to
0: build just for ourselves into a service for the world. It turns out you can make a heck of a lot more money selling access to the cloud than you can make selling ski poles and chicken diapers.
1: What on earth are chicken diapers?
0: It's just what it sounds like.
1: But why?
0: The point is, companies flocked to the cloud.
1: Oh, set up. This is where we say goodbye to Amazon in this story. Just because Amazon built the cloud doesn't mean it controls all the battles that go on inside it. And there's a huge one brewing between governments and private companies. They both want data, but we view how they use the data very differently. The companies that are taking advantage of the cloud to disrupt industries and to let us do things we could never do before, they get called innovators. But governments that exploit huge amounts of data about us They get called Big Brother.
0: Or they get called Smart Cities. Smart Cities use data to run things more smoothly. They kind of have to. Government can't get away with operating like it always has. Today, people expect government to work just as efficiently as Uber does. Kate Garman works for the city of Seattle. She says people now expect to track things like garbage trucks and snow plows, just like you track the progress of an Uber driver.
2: Now they're like, where's my snow removal? You know, I mean, there's an expectation now and the private sector is pushing the envelope and people are now expecting something similar from their government. And it's it constantly challenges us, but I think it's bettering everyone.
0: There are lots of ways data could make the city work better. Imagine a city where you can always get where you want to go on time.
2: I
1: take some times at this point, Joshua.
0: <laughs> well, work with me here. I mean, I'm talking about utopia. Imagine a city where you can always get to work on time because data driven algorithms always keep a path open for buses. And if buses are too packed, the transit agency sends more instantly.
1: Step into the sun, step into the It's almost like
0: the cloud becomes a utility, essential, and most of the time unnoticed. When it works, it makes life better.
1: For example, there are these hockey puck-sized sensors under the road where Amazon's headquarters is. Traffic congestion there is epic, but those sensors send data to the city, and then the city uses that data to adjust the timing of the traffic lights in real time.
0: It's decreased the average wait time at a light from 12 minutes to 7 minutes.
1: Oh, it's about half as ludicrous as it was before.
0: (laughs) But there's a dark side to this kind of data collection, too. Some sensors on that street get their data by pinging the cell phones in the car. So the company could figure out exactly
1: who is in what car and who they're with. I bet location data gets used in divorce cases all the time. It does. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Up next, we look at what all this data collection means for our privacy.
1: We've been talking about how data about us in the cloud could help cities run better. And we've heard how that same data raises a tangle of privacy concerns.
0: I went to talk to Shankar Narayan at the American Civil Liberties Union in Seattle. The data never goes
1: away, right? So think about it. If
0: you spend time in the wrong neighborhood, you can never erase that. But I already know I'm being tracked. And in the past, I've just chosen not to get worked up over this. I mean, I'm generating a mountain of data. Who's going to spend the time to sift through all of it? It turns out I was having a very old-fashioned reaction. You are basing your decisions about the data on the world that exists now, where you think a human being is making a lot of these decisions. But it's not humans you have to worry about making decisions based on your data. It's computers. For example, a computer can cross-reference your job application with your personal location data, and choose not to pass your resume along to the boss because you live too far away. So you don't get a job interview. Data is power because a great deal of decision making already is algorithmically oriented, right? So it means a machine is essentially making important decisions or is participating in important decisions that bear on someone's life.
1: This risk to our personal privacy is one reason why governments have trouble getting the data they want. Another obstacle to governments is corporate privacy. Companies don't want to share data with anyone because it's competitive.
0: But that data could be really valuable to governments.
1: Here in Seattle, the city would really like to get its hands on Uber's pickup and drop-off data because all these stopped cars are clogging up streets. Uber's data would help the city limit congestion by making special rideshare drop-off zones.
0: And not only that, companies say they can't trust the city to protect the data.
1: Right, because the public records law requires the city to hand this information over to anyone who asks.
0: Has anyone ever asked?
1: Of course they did. So Uber and Lyft went to court, and the fight is still on.
0: So the companies are concerned about their privacy, and individuals have their privacy concerns too. Seattle is trying to wade through that mess... You can see city employees struggling to find the balance in a single office in Seattle's municipal tower within just a few desks of each other. Kate Garman runs the city's Smart Cities program. She's trying to improve city services by making use of data. She sits right near the city's chief privacy officer.
2: She and I are the yin and the yang, and we both look at the value of data differently, and it's a constant conversation of, You know, if I had this demographic information block by block, oh my gosh, the things I could do with that for city services. And she looks at it, she's like, oh my God, that terrifies me. We really need to look at that data. And so the goal is to come to a compromise.
0: You know what's interesting? Seattle just got a report card on this from a privacy watchdog group. It basically said Seattle's doing a good job, but there are still a lot of holes to patch. For example, in Seattle, you can call three one one and ask the city anything, like how to make a noise complaint, or how to get rid of a homeless encampment. The record of those calls, though, is public information,
1: so your neighbor can find out and decide you're a jerk.
0: Yeah, and this didn't happen here, but in Philadelphia, um, you know, when people want to apply for a gun permit, they have to fill out um, like what what a, what a reason is, and a lot of people put because I carry large sums of money at night. I need a gun to protect myself, right? Oh my goodness. And that data became public. (gasps) So suddenly, some lawyers who sued the city were calling it a roadmap for criminals because you knew who to target now.
1: Oh, that just sounds like a nightmare.
0: So we've just described some extremely bad things that can happen when data about people gets misused. And we've also heard about all the wonderful things cities could do if they had enough data. The utopian and the dystopian are all tangled up together. It's hard to pull them apart so you can keep what's good.
1: But we have to figure this out, because the stakes for a city that's in hyperdrive are high. Here in Seattle, fast growth has given us huge problems with congestion and homelessness and affordability. And governments can't afford to waste money on stuff that doesn't work. Is there a solution out there? Okay, typical Seattle problem. You wake up and it's pouring rain. So of course you don't ride your bike to work. But then around lunchtime, there's a beautiful sunbreak people stream out of their buildings. It's the perfect moment for a bike ride.
2: That's the one thing
0: about Seattle in the winter is that you have so many days where it gets ticked as a rainy day, but really probably rained for a couple hours and a lot of the day it was perfectly
1: fine. That's where bike sharing companies come in. Kyle Rowe works for one called Spin. It's one of three companies that have dropped literally thousands of brightly colored bikes on the streets of Seattle since last summer.
0: They're all over the place.
1: And guess what? All those bikes are collecting data and they're sending it into the cloud. Someday the bike share companies may use that data to advertise to users, but they also know right now that data is really valuable to cities. Here's Kyle Rowe.
0: I mean, just simply knowing how many trips are happening, where are the trips happening? Where are trips happening that are directly parallel to transit routes.
1: That could help the city lay out bike routes. But
0: remember those problems that were getting in the way of data sharing before? They're all still there.
1: Except now there's a plan to get around them. It's being piloted here in Seattle. The University of Washington is experimenting with taking raw data from companies, stripping it of identifying information, aggregating it, organizing it so it's meaningful, and giving it to government. You take away the names, you take away phone numbers, you take away email addresses, and then presumably you will have met the requirements to quote-unquote anonymize that data. This is Jan Whittington. She's a professor in the Department of Urban Design at the University of Washington. And she's come up with an idea. Use her research to create a black box that will shield data from prying eyes and give the city something useful. We're subject to different rules under the Public Records
2: Act. So uh, that may allow us to be a sort of an intermediary, someone who can
1: act as a repository for sensitive data to compile this data from multiple sources, public and private. It's not a perfect solution because it's possible to reverse engineer anonymous data so it can identify people. But it's a start. The bike share companies have agreed to be the guinea pigs, and now Uber says it's interested in the idea.
0: So what does that kind of data sharing mean to someone living in the city?
1: Well, my evening bus is often too full, and it leaves me out on the street in the rain. Right now, I can get one of the bike share bikes, and I can pedal to a less popular stop. But maybe someday, I won't even have to do that, because the transit service will finally see the demand, and they'll add a bus. That's my data-sharing dream.
0: So we've been talking about data and how it can lead our cities to utopia or dystopia, and how they're all tangled up together. Somehow we have to figure out a way to live with that. Even Shankar Narayan from the ACLU has apps on his phone that he knows track him sometimes. It shouldn't be a choice between getting the benefit of a technology and giving up your privacy We have a history of gradually adapting to small invasions of our privacy as a trade-off for cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Remember the first time Google fed you an ad for something you've written about in your Gmail?
0: Yeah, I remember that. At first, I was creeped out by that.
1: And we're used to that now. As the Internet gets better and better at digging into our lives, the stakes will get higher. I mean, ads are one thing. But there's nothing compared to having all your personal data out on the dark web somewhere.
0: We're just going to have to learn to stay on guard. Yeah. So we started this podcast when Amazon kicked off its search for a second headquarters. And along the way, we've learned that Amazon is reshaping the future of cities in so many ways beyond that. There's a lot more to explore. We're going to slow down our production schedule and do some more reporting.
1: In the meantime, we'll be on the primed Facebook page. Search K-U-O-W, Primed. Hey, and that's where we got the idea for this episode. So keep posting your story ideas and your comments. Primed is a production of K-U-O-W Public Radio in Seattle. Our editor is Carol, the script Dr. Smith. Magic Matt Martin helped with production.
0: Our executives are Jennifer Make-It-Happen Strachan. Brendan, the podcast whisperer Sweeney, and Jill, I want this team on a plane to DC Jackson.
1: Noted. Our theme is Ripples on an Evaporated Lake by Raymond Scott. You also heard Heartline by Pesner, a Seattle artist.
0: You can find links to their work on our website. This podcast is supported by the listeners of KUOW Public Radio.
1: Thank you for listening. Thanks.
0: Every post you make. Every post- pin- Every tweet you make, every heart you break, I'll be stalking you, see you every day.